Just a quick programming note, this episode was recorded in studio before the COVID-19 lockdown, but Joe Yonan has so much great advice to give, we wanted to share it. Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I am your host, Kat Kinsman. I am senior editor at Food & Wine, and I am good golly. My guest today is somebody who I have admired and adored for a very long time. He is the food and dining editor at the Washington Post and editor of multiple cookbooks, including Serve Yourself and Eat Your Vegetables, both geared toward the solo eater. And his newest is just a revelation. It's just a revelation if you are a bean freak like this man. It is called Cool Beans. It's got 125 recipes for beans and Boy, do I have a lot of questions for Joe Yonan. Oh, my gosh. <sighs> for the people who are watching this on camera, hold up the book, Joe Yonan. Oh, hi. Cool hi. beans. Would you read the subtitle, please? <laughs> um, the Ultimate Guide to Cooking with the World's Most Versatile Plant-Based Protein. Okay. Have you always been a bean nerd? Um, pretty long. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, pretty long. You know, I grew up in West Texas. Okay. Um, and Born I, in Georgia? I was born in Georgia. Okay. Yeah. Good. Um, good home. Albany. Albany. Yeah. Albany. 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 Georgia. Albany. Georgia. Uh, my dad was in the Air Force. We moved to San Angelo, Texas, mm-hmm. um, when I was less than a year old. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so I grew up around Tex-Mex food oh, yeah. and a lot of great Mexican cooking. Um, so I ate beans all the time, but I always thought they were, you know, they were a side, right? Yeah. They were the beans and the rice on the side of the enchiladas and the side of the. That's your childhood, not my. I wish I had that as my childhood. <laughs> it was pretty great. Yeah, it was. It was pretty great. Um, and then you know when I was in college in Austin, I went to UT oh. Austin. I was poor. Oh, yeah. I was so poor. It's a broke person's best friend. It it's is. beans and rice. Beans and rice. And so I cooked it for myself all the time. And uh, there was a restaurant in Austin called um, Les Amis mm-hmm. that we nicknamed Lazy Me. Of course, that was the <laughs> nickname for it. And they, it was a f- supposedly kind of French, but it was yeah. really just generalized hippie Austin food. And <laughs> That sounds they, like generalized anxiety. So generalized Austin hippie. Too. Right, right. And they had a big uh, bowl of brown rice and black beans and salsa and you could get guac and sour yeah. cream and stuff on it. it I think it was you know like three bucks or something oh this was in God. the mid 80s and I lived off of that at this point how much variation do you know about beans there's you got uh, red and black or do, or pinto knew, maybe maybe I knew maybe I knew black and pinto <laughs> but that was that was about it right and then <laughs> and, and remind me Texas chili and the beans there's oh, no you'd get no no no, no. <laughs> and I used to be one of those people yeah. I was very much um a you know flag bearing flag waving Texas chili purist and I would be the first to tell you no no beans no tomatoes really in Texas chili it's and I would say you know it's chili con carne (laughs) right it's just chilies with meat it's and it's like it's a bowl of red is that it's a Texas bowl of red Mm -hmm. and you uh you cook it so long that the beef kind of falls apart into the sauce basically Mm -hmm. um and you know when I became vegetarian of course Mm -hmm. I had to give up that purism. Let's um, talk about what what phase of your life was that. I, I was a vegetarian for seven years, mm-hmm. and uh, mine was, uh, you know, there are complicated reasons for things <laughs> always. How old were you? Um, well, it's been about eight years now. Okay. So, and I'm 54, yeah. so um, I was uh, 40, 
I didn't know I was going to have to do math on this. I know. Sorry about that. <laughs> so I was Surprise. 46. 46. Okay. Was there an inciting incident or it was just like, uh, hey. It was more the latter. It was mm-hmm. gradual. I remember very clearly I was having people over for dinner mm-hmm. that weekend and I was trying to figure out what to make. And I opened up my freezer and I noticed that it was stuffed full of the most beautiful, humanely raised meat that Mm -hmm. I had been buying for years at farmer's markets and not cooking at home for myself. Oh, so you were hoarding meat? I was waiting until I had an excuse to make it for other people. Oh, and you were just not craving it yourself. And I wasn't craving it myself. And I, and it was, I didn't, it it was a revelation. Yeah. I I was like, oh, something's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it started because I was trying to eat really lean and clean at home so that I could you know, eat, you know, down and dirty in restaurants. Yeah, because um, our, our job is is tough with food. You don't always right. get a whole lot of say in what you're eating. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And when I noticed that that was happening, I also noticed that I was feeling a lot better, mm-hmm. that I had all this energy, and I just, I just, I wasn't having food comas nearly yeah. as often. So I just kept going in that direction, um, and... It started getting easier to eat vegetarian in restaurants. Yeah, there's been a huge revolution. It's been a huge revolution. How? What time do you think it's been? Five years, ten years, longer? I think about ten years. Yeah. I mean, certainly some things have been bubbling yeah. along, but um, you know, we wrote some things about trying to eat as a vegetarian ten mm-hmm. years ago, and it's very different now. Oh, you know, I had Jamie Oliver on the program oh, recently, yeah. and he was saying, like, he's a bellwether for things. He had written that book years ago. I think I forget it was nine or eleven years ago, and he was and he shelved it because he said, you know, people aren't ready for this quite yet, and right. he was waiting for this moment in the culture for it to be okay, and. For him, who is, you know, he's he's a guy's guy in, yeah. you know, in sort of a lot, a lot of ways. And so for him to say, like, hey, you know, these traditional British dishes that are usually pretty meaty and, you know, maybe you could do it a different way. And I, and I feel like that was a really significant moment in, mm-hmm. in the food culture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that people are realizing that, well, I'll just speak for myself, yeah. you know. I feel better. Yeah. Um, and and I'm thinking about the planet, you know? I yeah. mean, I, I am. I'm thinking about the planet, and I want to have a light footprint. And I know that there's a lot of um, complicated reasons for uh, climate change, but yeah. I'm also thinking about, you know, how are we going to feed all the people that are going to be here in 50 years? And, yeah. Um, you know, what's that going to be like? So that's part of the reason why I... Mm-hmm do what I do. And you're also an animal lover like me. I'm an animal lover. Yeah. I'm an animal lover. And you know, I was a little shy to talk about animals as a reason yeah. for plant-based eating, I think at first, because I didn't want to be lumped in with, you know, kind of the stereotypical. There's a sanctimonious kind of yes. thing that can come there. And like, yes. it's probably, it's meant from a really good place, but yep. the delivery sometimes is, can be a little... A little much. Right, right. And I think I was afraid of being, you know, right. lumped in with that. But it's absolutely part of it for me, too. I, I sort of remember uh, when you came out as a vegetarian. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about the decision to do that. Because, like, it's complicated when you have a job in food. I was scared to death to talk about the fact that there I have so many dietary restrictions mm-hmm. because of gut things that I'm, you know, it's been like a four year longer than four year process mm. where I've had to really restrict the kind of food that I that I have because it makes right. me sick and this 
thing that I've been dealing with. A lot of it is still really mysterious and all that. And to sort of have to come out and be like, well, actually, I'm a food writer who can't eat a whole lot of different foods. That was a really tough thing. And I was thinking, will people still take me seriously? And what I had to do was just switch the focus from like food to people. Right. Right. So let's talk about the decision then, because you'd been vegetarian for a pretty long time and you'd been a food editor for even longer. Yeah. Yeah. So when I finally came out, um, I guess it had been about a year Mm -hmm. that I had been really vegetarian but I and I was saying a lot of things about it in my yeah in my recipe columns I was saying things like um now that I'm you know mostly eating (laughs) vegetables or now that I'm not now that I'm eating less and less meat Mm -hmm. I kept saying things like that now that I'm a flexitarian (laughs) right and I finally realized it was time to just be honest with people um and you know, I think a lot of people definitely reacted. Uh, they reacted with re- with relief, and they thought mm-hmm. that it was great, and yeah. they appreciated it. There certainly were people who thought, um, "How can you run um, yeah. a major newspaper's food coverage mm-hmm. when you don't eat everything?" And of course, my response to that is, "I have people." For yeah. one thing, I have people. Right. I was travel editor. You know, before yeah. uh, there was a point in which I was both food and travel. Oh, I, I was exhausting. <laughs> yes. Um, and in Boston, I was travel editor alone for a while. And my response to people is, you know, do you think that I have to have been everywhere in order to direct a travel section, you know? Um, and I also have deep memories of how everything tasted and, um, you know, I used to be a Kansas city certified barbecue judge. Oh, I'm one. (laughs) Yeah, you are one. Yes, I was. So I can tell you what and why and how and what it's supposed to be. I just don't really want to eat it. Um, you know, so I did have to convince people, I think that I wasn't going to turn the post into a (laughs) vegetarian food section, which of course I haven't, you know, I maintain my journalistic sensibilities Mm -hmm. of wanting to cover what people are interested Mm -hmm. in and reflect the realities of the world. But, you know, frankly, we needed to do a lot more coverage of plant-based eating then. Um, and so I sort of spearheaded that and we've done a lot. So you have, you have a, a, a veg-centric, uh, I'm totally blanking on the name of it, but it is... Uh, Weeknight Vegetarian that's what it, okay. is my little... Con. Not that anybody knows what names are. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> really matter. But yeah, I write a vegetarian, or right. usually it's vegan recipe every week. Yeah, and has the response been... I mean, pe- people's people's eating habits have shift so, shifted so tremendously. I was... Uh, I have a, a dear friend, British guy, who was the person who used to love to take me out for like greasy mixed grills and, and all this. And I've seen him gone through such a shift. He's turning 50 this year. And over the past few years, I've seen him mostly give up meat, become a serious runner. What the hell have you done to Eddie? But no, it's great. And, you know, and for him, it's, you know, all different complicated reasons for doing it. And I mean, my reasons were, it was mostly, I, I look back on it and think, why did I do it? And, you know, and, who know I may again at that particular point it's college it's grad school and so and it was an identity thing it was a willpower right. and identity thing for me right. you know here's right. my point of difference here is my or my point of sameness with other people right and I was a god-awful vegetarian <laughs> I just like you know and I, I was pretty hardline about what I would eat. you know wouldn't eat jello or any of that kind of stuff didn't eat fish but it was like oh, just a lot of carbs yes the carbitarian problem pretty much yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. when you became vegetarian how did you learn how to eat and feed yourself you know it's a process I mean I think at first um I thought that nothing well I certainly went through the carbitarian thing (laughs) um a lot of pasta a lot of pasta um I also think at first I thought 
you know, nothing is better than a pile of vegetables with an egg on it. Like everything, yeah. I always had to put an egg on everything. Right. <laughs> a lot of eggs, a lot of cheese. Right. Um, you know, as you get more and more sophisticated about vegetarian cooking, I think you mm-hmm. depend less and less on dairy and eggs. Because, and fake meat, too. And fake meat, right? Because you know what it takes to bring out the best in vegetables, and you're paying attention to things like texture and mm-hmm. spice and layering of flavors. Um, and, um, yeah, so it was just a process. It's and, and so imagine some pushback from people and then mm-hmm. also the hooray movement is I'm just curious about like demographics of this. Like are I, I've seen like kind of older people in embracing sort of more. If I want to talk about this lin- linguistic shift, plant based eating yes, yes. Um, people who maybe were very traditional before with, you know, meat and veg and starch and mm-hmm. and all that. And all of a sudden eating considerably less meat it's been actually kind of wonderful that my you know my sister-in-law and her spouse my brother-in-law and his spouse like all of them have sort of gone to way less meat yeah which i've and uh also you know sort of paying attention not eating as much gluten and things it's been really a fascinating thing from a group of people who i thought maybe were you know somewhat intractable in their ways Mm -hmm. um and living in the south and everybody seems to be embracing it which is really a delight to see. It's amazing. I mean, sometimes it really is something that happens with, um, there's a shift that happens with you. You know, like with new mothers Mm -hmm. often become interested in organics for the Mm -hmm. first time because they're they're realizing, oh my God, I'm I'm taking care of this baby. I really, I cannot put anything in this baby's body that isn't, you know, pure in some way. Um, And I think for a lot of other people, you know, either you read something that really shook you up mm-hmm. about um, your health or the planet mm-hmm. or or you had a health scare. I mean, that's very yeah, common. Very um, frequent. You know, that there's a reaction to my doctor says that I need to go on a plant based diet. I have a friend who um, moved with her husband to uh, Brazil for his work and um and she was told that she needed to start a plant-based diet because of the cholesterol in her family. Wow. And that's and and that's difficult to do in Brazil. Oh wow, yeah, because that's a yeah. lot of beef. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of beef. So, but she's taking to it with gusto. She's a, quite a good cook. So yeah. she's young, um, taking to it with gusto. Um, so I think there's lots of different reasons um, that people do it. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's and it feels like there are a whole lot of cookbooks too, which is really just a fantastic yeah. thing. Yeah, yours is uh, it's so specific that I love that it's that it's beans. So <laughs> I want to go back to it. you go through this moment. You're eating a lot of beans <laughs> when you're in um, in school, and when did this sort of beautiful panoply of beans? Like when did oh, you realize man. that there are more than a couple of different kinds? You know, I think when I was um, Moving toward plant-based mm-hmm. diet, maybe ten years ago, I was certainly cooking lots of different kinds of beans. Of course, I say lots, but it was maybe five or six different right. kinds of beans, as opposed to before it was two, and now mm-hmm. it's I can't even count the number. Um, honestly, I think it was when we first ran into Rancho Gordo. You know? Oh, can we talk about Steve Sando yeah, for a second? Yeah, yeah. It was when. Explain it, him to people who do not know who the glorious Steve Sando right, is. Right, right. So Steve um, owns an heirloom bean company called Rancho Gordo based in Napa. Um, and he works with farmers a lot in Mexico um, to grow these varieties of beans that, you know, we thought were lost. Um, and one of the things that's, that he does with his beans is he sells them fairly fresh so that they, they haven't been dried for more than a year. 
And it's a revelation to people if they oh, are yeah. used to really Hard. old beans. Yeah, they cook up so much more beautifully. They're so flavorful. And they're just beautiful, you know. They're oh, they're so pretty. So pretty, and they have all these characteristics that you didn't realize beans could really have, you know, nutty flavors mm. and smoky flavors. And, you know, honestly, I think it was that, you know, when I first discovered Steve. We were the first national publication to write about Steve really? and Rancho Gordo maybe 11 years ago, something like that, 11 or 12 years ago. And it was right after um, Thomas Keller discovered him. So. Mm-hmm. If I remember right, Steve was selling mostly at farmer's markets, Mm -hmm. and Thomas Keller um, tasted some of his beans Mm -hmm. and then put them on the menu at French Laundry and called him out on the menu. Um, And that's what really started getting him a lot of attention. Of course, now it's a cult, you know. Oh, okay. So Margaret Ebi, my beloved work wife, um, is a, she is actually in the Bean Club. She's in the Bean Club. Which, okay, so there is a Bean (laughs) Club that has a waiting list to join. Thousands of people long on the waiting list. Because you can only grow so many beans. But it comes with um, these beautiful, she wrote a glorious piece for Food and Wine uh, recently, like when, like, right around when she joined the team this year about the writing of mm-hmm. the the newsletter that comes with the, the descriptions Club. and yeah. the stories mm-hmm. yeah it's and it's really um it, it's just it's beautiful writing and it's gorgeous beans and i know she's about to take off to the red beans parade in uh, in, in new orleans for mardi gras but it's it's really it is it's a cult of bean worshippers there i think it's camilla beans or camilla yeah Camilia beans. which are which are great beans yeah yeah yeah, it is. And all this is making me so jealous, by the way, of course, because I can't I eat know. beans. I know. At least for right now. And this just kills me because I know, you know, I want to take strides toward cutting more meat out of my diet. And, and uh, just with my particular gut condition, it's been a real challenge. Right. It's funny because, like, you know, they make all those alternative pastas and stuff, and they're all made with legumes, oh. which I can't digest. And Even in the even in that form, yeah. you have a tough time with them. Oh, yeah. man, I'm sorry. And I love beans. And I you know, and I've grown them myself over the years. I got, yeah. I got beans from uh, Blackberry Farm and oh, and started fabulous. growing some of those. And they're just like, they're really truly glorious things. So I I hope that I'm going to be One able day. to to get to a place where. I can do that. I also hope that you can. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, because really, this book is a—it's a stunner. What, oh, you, thank you. I know that you were saying um, that you weren't sure that you could find 125 recipes for beans, and then oh, by the end, when I was turning it in, mm-hmm. I thought, how am I going to stop? Right. Um, honestly, beans are central to so mm-hmm. many cuisines around yeah. the world. There are traditional recipes, beautiful recipes from. Um, Oh, there's beautiful stewed Nigerian black beans. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, black-eyed peas um, with plantains oh. that I love. Um, an incredible dish. Um, you know, there's sweet red beans in Asian desserts. Yeah. There's, of course, the hummai of the Middle East. Yeah. <laughs> um falafel there's are you gonna lead world bean tours i know i should <laughs> right i should <laughs> I, I follow like you around this. the world <laughs> just touring the world beans. i love that idea the bean dream i love this like, trip... my publisher's ears <laughs> <laughs> like trip of a lifetime like you know te- you and steve sando uh, team up and, oh my god and, i would love it I would and, love and it. do a tour of the world with with all of this i would love it i would love it you know it's funny too what one of the things that i realized was 
in addition to all those traditional dishes that are all around the world, I also find it fairly easy to work beans into a lot of things that I had already knew and loved to cook. So, um, and that's partly because they're, you know, beans are the only food that's classified as both a protein and a vegetable. Really? Um, by the USDA, which I find really interesting. But they also are high in, they're, they're carby, so they mm-hmm. also can be the starch in a dish. Right. Um, so they can play all these different parts in a dish. So for an example, I have a tabbouleh recipe in the book. Now, a really great tabbouleh, a traditional tabbouleh, is not a grain salad as much mm. as, it, as it is a parsley salad. Uh, right. You know, it's really supposed to be heavily parsley, mm-hmm. and the bulgur is a much smaller part of the salad. Mm-hmm. We've sort of bastardized right. that in America. Right, like, like, yeah, every, like, sort of restaurant version of had of it is... Right, where yeah. it's, like, almost garnished with parsley, right. and they're, you know, which is ridiculous. But in a true tabbouleh, it's mostly parsley, and... Um, I use beans instead of the bulgur. Bean bully. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's great. It's great. And it feels almost more tr- traditional mm-hmm. than what we've, Americans have done to, to, to the bully, um, because it still glorifies that parsley. Um, and, I, you know, I have a pasta dish that I love to make in the summer that uses corn and cream. I cream it the way you do in the mm-hmm. South where I oh, scrape yeah. the cobs to get the milk and... Mm-hmm. Um, cherry tomatoes and um, and I add white beans to that dish. Those little lady cream peas yeah. from Camellia, and they're perfect in that. Um, so so in addition to all these traditional things, mm-hmm. I find it fairly easy to see spots where beans could make a, <laughs> make a great appearance. You see the world through a bean colored lens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all these things. Okay, is your is your husband sick of beans, or is he just on the bean oh, train with you? Oh <laughs> man, man. I mean, there were some moments. There were some moments. <laughs> no um, more beans. You know, when I turned in the book, I said, I can't eat beans. I can't even look at a bean for a while. And yeah. I actually tried to do what's called ketotarian, which is vegetarian keto. Oh, wow. Which, of course, there's no beans allowed. And part of it was because there's no beans allowed on the diet. So I was like, I'm going to do that <laughs> for a little bit here. Go through a bean tox. <laughs> I need to have a bean tox. And um, and Carl, of course, did did that with me. Um, he didn't do – he eats chicken and fish. But um, mm-hmm. after three weeks, I was missing my beans. <laughs> and so I made a lentil dish for lunch and then I reach into my freezer at dinner and pulled out some. I mean, I had a lot of beans that I had frozen. <laughs> when, I, when you when you do a single subject cookbook, Oof. you're just churning out a lot right. of food. And I was giving it away, and I was yeah. freezing it, and we were eating it. So I pulled out a bean stew for dinner, and he rebelled. Oh, he was like, nope. "I thought you said we weren't going to have any beans for a while." <laughs> Written into your vows, and like... I said, "It's been three weeks." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I mean, it's it's. Writing a cookbook, I, I've seen so many friends go through it. It is, uh, okay, for everybody who's listening to this who thinks, I want to write a cookbook, Joe, do they want to write a cookbook? Ooh, okay. So <laughs> there was a point yeah. in the writing of my book when I said to my husband, I said, when my agent asked me what I want to do next or when my tell you my publisher is asking me what I'm going to do mm-hmm. next – would you remind them that I fucking hate this? <laughs> <laughs> and this was not your first rodeo, even. No, no, no. But, but he didn't. I mean, your your first two cookbooks were about cooking solo, That's which I right. think is kind of 
amazing and wonderful. We'll get into that's that. That's right. That's right. Um, but and you know he did remind me of it because then <laughs> I have funny. talked about what I want because there is oh, one no. I want to do. It's just exactly like having a baby. Oh, it's my. like having a baby. See, I would know. <laughs> you go through it and then and you're like, I never want to do that again. Mm-hmm. That was horrible. Mm-hmm. And then you have the baby and they're so cute. Mm-hmm. I would I, I wouldn't know, man. <laughs> You've heard. I've maybe. heard. I've heard tell. <laughs> so I did it, you know, and yeah. then I look at the book and I'm like, oh, but I love it. Yeah. And it's so cute. And now yeah. people, other people are telling me that they're making things yeah. and that they really like it. And it's so gratifying when people make your food and That's tell you that they loved it. And so now, of course, I'm like, forget I even said that. <laughs> I want to do it again. You go, yeah, because like writing a book can be kind of lonely and traumatic and difficult and alienating and all those things. It's and very then, hard. Then you managing, and so you've, you've done it, uh, I know you've written three and then you edited another one? I edited another one, and I co-wrote a book with a chef in Boston okay. uh, many years ago, too, so... Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's grueling. It's grueling. And there's a point before it comes out, mm-hmm. too. Oh, that's a really difficult. Dark, time. dark you, day. Yeah, you've done all the work that is all out in the world and you're just sitting there. Um, there's a writer, uh, who's a friend of mine, Sarah Benincasa, mm-hmm. and she sends out, um, she'll like if you ask her she'll send it or other people i've sent it out like with her permission to other people about what to expect when you write your first book and and she said you know expect these emotions expect depression don't expect your life to change don't uh, right. all of, all of all of your problems are not suddenly going to go away because you wrote a book right. you know and there are a few people who you know get to bestseller status and stuff and otherwise you know having written a book is an amazing accomplishment in and of itself but the time before it comes out and then sometimes the time after I've only written yeah. one, but like the time after is really brutal. It is brutal. It is brutal. I mean, you're, you're, I was caught up with the question of what if I'm the only person who thinks that this was a good idea? Yeah. You know, what if I'm the only one yeah. and everyone else is going to think this is really stupid? Yeah. You know, you're just, you're, you're really caught up in that. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I still have imposter syndrome. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so badly. So, oh. I mean, I remember I did a video um, w- with Food 52 and they're mm-hmm. so wonderful. Yeah. It was one of uh, the genius videos with oh, Kristen. Yeah. Um, She's wonderful. Who's wonderful. And you know, the day before I'm going there um, to do it, I'm having a hard time sleeping because I'm thinking, you know, we're going to make that dish for the video. And in the middle of shooting the dish, they're all going to realize that it's actually a terrible recipe. And that it's not only is it not genius, Mm -hmm. but it's terrible. And they're going to cancel the plans for the shoot, like right there in the middle of it. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's real. Like no matter. Of course, thankfully, that didn't happen. Well, I'm sure it didn't because, like, that's the thing is, like, you know, you, you sort of you get afraid that everybody else is because a lot of work goes into making a book. You have your publisher, you have your photographer, you have whatever else. Yeah. There's all the people around you who you've been an asshole to while you've been writing the book. Maybe that's just me. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, neglecting all your relationships and all this kind of stuff, and you're so afraid it's going to come out, and they're going to be like, for that, for like, that, right? Like, really, you know, it's and having to promote the book i mean i will stop here and say like i am really lucky 
to have gotten to write a book. It is a pleasure and a privilege yes. and all of that stuff. And I feel so, so grateful. So I'm saying this for the people who think I might want to embark on this and they have a notion that, hey, I'm going to do this thing and it's going to completely change everything for me. It will change some things and um, it will add a different kind of upset and stress to your life that, yeah, absolutely. that no one talks about. Right, right, right. I mean, for one thing, it's, you know, we work in digital media and, you know, you can change things, Mm -hmm. you can revisit things, you can fix things. I mean, there's a stress in putting something down Mm -hmm. in print that's going to be bound and (laughs) printed by the thousands. And, you know, there's this moment um, in the back and forth with your editor when you're making changes, you know, you're, you're reading the different proofs and the different cycles of proofs and you're marking them up and you're making changes and there's some back and forth and there's always an email that I always dread getting, which is the one where I find something that I want to change and my editor has to tell me, nope, it is now too late. Yeah. It has become yeah. too late. We have crossed the threshold yeah. and we will look at that for you know, if there's another printing of the book and hopefully it's not something that was like actually a big mistake or anything, but there's always something. And then you're like, Oh Lord, I hope there isn't anything else in there. It's so, it it is a terrifying uh, process. And, you know, as I've been straddling uh, online and and print and and podcasts, it's different mediums, each with their different flow. And that, that print process is really intense. I mean, it's intense. Luckily there's fact checking, there's all of the stuff. And so it's never just you alone (laughs) doing this, but I, the depression that comes after, um, I, I had been told to anticipate that and my my book came out a week after the election. Mm. So, you know, that was really stressful because, you know, usually the news programs and stuff that I would have done, you know, I came from from CNN and I usually that would have been a slam right. dunk, but they're not booking anything that wasn't straight up just election right. stuff. And you have to go out there once you've written the book, the work is not done. You have to go out there and be on podcasts and That's be right. on shows and and it um it's a lot of being on. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely is. And it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely can be exhausting. Yeah. I mean, it's not exhausting for me to talk to you because you're very easy to talk to, you Thank know. You. Um, <laughs> Back at but you. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. And you do feel like, you know, it's your responsibility to sell the book. Yeah. I mean, the days are long gone when you know, all you had to do was turn it in and then then some team like swooped in. Right, right. No, it's on you. It's absolutely on you. And, you know, and I've spent a lot of time obsessing on social media since the book has been out and about to be out. And I, and I sort of have a love hate relationship with it. Like I think so many of us do. Yeah. It's complicated. I'm spending a lot more time on it than I used to. Mm -hmm. And that I think I'm even really all that comfortable doing. So, and that, adds to my anxiety level oh anxiety yeah Yeah. hi hi (laughs) i know that one real well (laughs) yes you do and you know and as you're out there you're you're doing this and you're still you know doing your your regular job and food writing has gotten and food editing has gotten infinitely more complicated as it should Mm -hmm. in the past you know especially I will say election cycle, but before, but before that too, um, you know, you sometimes get the people who are like, Oh, stick to food. I'm like, food is Mm. everything. It's politics. It's justice. It's race. It's culture. It's history. It's art. It's family. It's (laughs) health. 
Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is absolutely everything. And as a person, you know, who has a job at a major newspaper covering food, you know, and I, you know, I'm at Food & Wine now, we do some politics and stuff, but, you know, I came out of, you know, CNN where, yes, it was extremely political. And you find yourself like thinking, it's it's funny. It's it's sort of a position that we're in right now. You both think um, I have to do this, and I have to figure out what the food angle is of it. While people are telling you stick to food, and then and what business do you have? You know, talking about this, and you and the imposter syndrome comes in. Who am I to be talking about this thing? Right. And it becomes a very uh, a difficult thing. And I've talked with food people who work at other um, news organizations sometimes, and they've said they feel sort of diminished in some ways because people are like oh you're just doing food it's not real i'm like right you know that's not real news i'm like oh but it is right right i mean there's certainly you know the post is so um renowned for its political coverage mm-hmm. um and that's why so many people come to the post yeah um and so it can be easy to fall into that mindset of like well why you know mm-hmm. what what do they care about what i'm doing yeah Thankfully, you know, I think one of the things that's been helping has been we've been really trying to work on um, converting more of our audience to subscribers. I'm one. Loyal. Oh, thank you. Thank you for helping. (laughs) Thank you for. It's a pleasure on the regular. (laughs) Thank you for realizing that good journalism is worth paying for. (laughs) Yes, it is. Somebody um, on social media in the last couple of days was complaining about a paywall. And I was like, "Ah, don't get me started. I get it. And yeah. (laughs) When that happens, it just really, it does. It really annoys me. Um, but, um, you know, one of the things that we've realized is that we, we spent several years since Jeff Bezos bought us and sort yeah. of took the shackles of local focus um, off. And mm-hmm. and we really have moved toward being a national digital first yeah. you know, newspaper. Um, we built all this scale, but now we're trying to make sure that we convert those people to subscribers and that we keep the subscribers that we have. And things like food are really one of the keys in doing that. So people can might come for the politics, but yeah. then we show them all of this other stuff yeah. that we have that, that hopefully will keep them around. And especially in an election cycle, mm-hmm. food is so front and center. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it worked uh, It worked through uh, an election cycle at, uh, not presidential, did I list it presidential? It might have been blanking at this point. Oh, you know, it was. I think it was through the second Obama election, like through um, at, at CNN and and then, uh, you know, at, at Extra Crispy, we were, mm-hmm. you know, my first piece that I uh, did there was about the role of uh, food on the campaign trail. Right. And like sort of pandering to locals with yeah. whatever the local food is. And, right. Um, and it's the diner so, and the gripping oh, grins and the. Yeah. Like the pancake breakfast, the stuff on a stick, the, all, right. the, all the fair food. Right. And, stuff. and the faux pas are so interesting, too. Oh, when knife they and happen. fork on a pizza. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It was a really funny thing. I remember there was a moment, it was like during uh, one of the elections and I, I was, my, my colleague Sarah LeTrent and I made uh, baked goods and to go around and meet everybody. So we were meeting all of the anchors and, you know, and feeding them, you know, brownies and cookies and stuff and, and in the hopes that then they would talk to us about their diet on the campaign oh, trail, great. which like most of them did, which is really, really great. People eat like shit on the campaign yes. trail. Yes. Oh, man. It's, <laughs> it's such an intense thing. Uh, but it's, you know, it's such an interesting lens, like the food lens on all of this mm-hmm. is such a fascinating thing. And you know, on, then you can get into, uh, you know, issues of agriculture and yep. race and justice and, yep. you know, whatever any particular administration. Workers' rights. Oh, yeah. And, 
um, yeah, there's a million, there's a million possibilities. Yeah. So you're, it's really difficult to write a book while you're working full time. Yes, it is. So how did you take care of yourself during that time? Um, yeah. Hmm. Did I take care of myself? No, <laughs> I mean, maybe I that was I a front loaded question. I did. There. No, I did. Um, a lot of walks with the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of one of my, you know, saviors. Um, yeah. oh, dogs are the best. Dogs, 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 dogs. I mean, actually, um, you know, moving away from food for a second, one of the pieces of yours that I have treasured the most was you wrote, uh, I may start crying here. Sorry. No, actually, no, sorry. <laughs> uh, you wrote about losing your dog. Mm-hmm. And, ah, uh, God, <laughs> it was one of the most uh, poignant, r- relatable, beautiful, generous things I have ever read and I think so many of us can relate to that was that one of your first ventures into writing not about food yeah I mean well er, you know I had a career before food yeah um you know I I really moved in the direction food about I mean it's been 20 years so um but yeah at the post I um yeah I had this horrible experience happen to me where my dog died suddenly and (sighs) I I just, I was struggling to figure out why it was so yeah. wretched. I mean, I had had another dog um, die after a long, I had him for 13 years oh, and he died wow. of cancer and it was What's fairly some grommets. Grommets. Um, and then this, the the one that I ended up writing about, or I wrote about both of them, but the one that prompted me to write that piece was named Red and he died very suddenly. Oh. And yeah, it was so wrenching. But you know, I have to tell you, Kat, I that was in 2012. Yeah. I get, I still get an average of probably four or five emails a week about that piece. It doesn't surprise me. It's such it's a... It's been eight years. What is it called so people can find it? <laughs> um, it was called um, Losing a Pet Can Be As Hard As Losing a Family Member. Yeah, I think that's what it was called. And it's uh, um, I, and did you get any pushback on the title, or did you get more people saying like, "Oh my God, yes," and thank you for saying it oh, out loud? Yes, the latter. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, there was such an outpouring of response mm-hmm. when I wrote the piece. I mean, yeah. thousands of comments and email. I couldn't keep up with the emails yeah. for months, and I tried to write back to everybody, but it was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds yeah. and hundreds of emails. Um, and honestly, yeah, it's been it only got down to four or five emails a week a couple of years ago. I think I wrote you. <laughs> you did. Yeah, you Actually, did. Actually, I did because I, 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 yeah, because I've lost several dogs along the way. And People I, find it and read it. And, I, you know, I've tried to work through the question while processing the grief, which yeah. is what I think was powerful about the piece. And so I sort of ended up realizing in the piece that part of my grief was writing the piece. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I just think people don't allow themselves to grieve properly for their animals. And uh, I absolutely, it makes a huge difference. I absolutely agree. And like, not every relationship with every pet is the same. That's right. But there are the ones in particular. I mean, I, yeah. you know, my, my husband and I don't have kids, but we do have dogs and we live with them like family members. They're not right. our children, but, but they are, they're our pack, they're our family. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm away from them for a while, if I'm traveling or something, I, I definitely feel unbalanced when I, uh, you know, when I can't just like put my hand I down know. and have little Penelope or Ogdred <laughs> there and touch them. And what is your, your, your beautiful dog's name? 
Roscoe. Roscoe. He's the best. Tell me about Roscoe. He's the best. Well, he's a lab hound mix. He's Mm -hmm. absolutely adorable. Um, We got him from a rescue. Uh, My husband and I, before we were Mm -hmm. married, we went to a like sidewalk Mm -hmm. adoption event thing at a pet store in DC that works with a rescue. And, um, we went there because we went on Pet Finder, okay. you know, which is like Tinder for <laughs> right. dogs, Tinder for, people for, for dogs, dogs and cats. Yeah. Um, except I don't think they get to swipe, but anyway. Um, <laughs> no, they pick you. They, they do. do. They do. They, really they do. do. So we were actually going there to see some other dogs that we had read about mm-hmm. um, on Pet Finder, and they weren't there. But um, Roscoe was just sitting in front of a volunteer looking at her and he when I walked by and looked at him he took his paw and he put it up on her lap like in this way to try to get attention from her and I thought it was the cutest thing I'd ever seen yeah so I was immediately drawn to him um and he's a very expressive dog he's so chill I think he should be a therapy dog of some kind but we haven't taken him through training he'd be a perfect dog to like take into a nursing home to like take somewhere to a VA um, because he's just, he's, he loves people. I think we need to put a picture of him up on screen. I'll send you some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you sound so lovely. So he took care of you while you were writing your book. Yeah. It was very helpful. It was very helpful to have him. And then, you know, yoga. Yeah. Um, I like doing yoga. Um, and, uh, yeah, what else? I know. Exercise. It's, it's really hard helps. to do that because you get in hunchover mode. You do. And then, yeah. you know, it's a really stressful thing. And I know some people, I'm always curious to talk to other writers and stuff because there seems to be, like, the kind of writer who go to, away to workshops and retreats and all that kind of stuff. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. I can't do that. I can't write when I'm away from home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I just, I, I know that, there, it, and it, it's funny, we're talking about imposter syndrome, um, because I've always, since I moved to New York, I've always had friends who are writers and I always thought like, oh, they're real writers and I'm, oh, you know, man. and I'm just a fake. I'm just pretending like, and I was thinking about this recently. Uh, I don't remember exactly what sort of brought it up, but I know, I think there was something on Twitter where, um, a woman had joined a uh, writing group and they told her if the rule is you have to write 15,000 words a month. And if you don't, you get kicked uh, out. I'm, I'm like, sorry, 15,000 words like, a month. I'm sorry. That is just, <laughs> and, and uh, that's not quality. That's just quantity. And that is ridiculous. And no. I'm sure people got months without writing things. I mean, I have to write cause it's my job, but, right. but I, you know, I, but I had this complex because I had friends who were, you know, very accomplished writers and stuff. And I still feel that way. Um, sometimes because like, you know, they're winning big, important, a friend of mine won the national book award this past year. Wow. And, that's great. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, she's amazing and it's been such a joy to like watch her career and she's just had so many accolades like in the, in the, um, since this, this last book and stuff, but I've, you know, in that particular crowd, I'm always like, oh, they're the real writers and I'm just noodling around over here. Cause I had a career flip over and, and didn't start this till late. I'm sure that she feels that way about people. Yeah. Doesn't she? I think we all must. Like, I think we, we all do. Do we all just have imposter syndrome? We all have, impo- <laughs> we all have imposter syndrome, which begs the question, like, who are the non-imposters? Like, <laughs> if none of us feel like we belong, then obviously we all belong. You know, it's it's such a funny thing. I think I had this moment after I, I moved to New York. It's We're coming up upon the day I did the math where, where I will have lived in New York for half of my life. Wow. And I'm 47. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it, it's been a while that I've been here. But I remember a few years years in 
having this revelation, I saw some, like some very cool person, but then I saw them have a very human moment. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I thought, oh my God, we're all just dorks who fled here and we're all trying to like do this. Absolutely. You know, and I find it, you know, sometimes in the food world, I, you know, walk in and feel sort of intimidated by something. But like fundamentally, I think if you're a person who really cares about food, you probably have to care about people. Yes, I hope so. I think so. I like to think so. I like <laughs> yeah, to think so. Yeah, I really do. And well, and while we're on the topic like food world and stuff, let's let's talk about like representation because oh, I, sure. Because there's such an important book that's going to be coming out from John Birdsall about yeah, I can't wait about James Beard because mm-hmm. he had always felt like James Beard's uh, queer had been underrepresented right. mm-hmm. and hit and actually deliberately hidden because he, he came from a particular age right. where it was dangerous right and you know it's been such an interesting thing to see representation of queer people both in food media mm-hmm. and kitchens um you know become more and more prominent and it's, it's just been, it's been a really truly beautiful thing to watch you've been doing this job for a long time was it always safe for you um Oh, that's interesting. I mean, you know, I think back on, God, I went to journalism school at University of Texas at Austin, and I graduated, um, you know, in the late 1989. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of my journalism professors um, calling me into his office and saying, um, you really need to not wear that earring um, mm-hmm. once you are interviewing for jobs and once you are out reporting um, and I said, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, why wouldn't I wear, I had an earring in my right ear. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, well, why telegraph your, your sexual preferences like that? And I said, well, excuse me, kind sir, but yeah. is that not a wedding ring that I see on your hand? Right. <laughs> and he said, well, that's, 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 that's different. <laughs> you know, um, but that was a strong message. Did you he know? think that he was doing you a favor? He thought that he was doing oh, me a favor, yeah, yeah. like to help me from rejection. And, you know, one of my first jobs was at a small um, uh, weekly newspaper I edited in uh, southern New Hampshire, mm-hmm. a weekly. It was a very small town, very insular. Um, I was 25. I had been out since I was 17. Mm-hmm. But I kind of went back in for a little <sighs> while, which was pretty bad. But I just, it, I definitely was getting the message. It was a pretty conservative community Mm -hmm. in some ways um and I just I just didn't feel comfortable and I didn't Mm -hmm. feel safe really talking about it I mean now you know I live in DC it's it's easy but but there's also internet commenters and trolls and and I certainly get my fair share of it I mean and I get I get some pretty hateful things directed at me just anytime I mention my husband um um yeah and how do you emotionally deal with that um, I think I just try to tell myself that it's not me, right? Like that's their, yeah. it's just, it's, it's, it's their issue. It's mm-hmm. not my issue. And I'm pretty secure. Um, yeah. you know, I've been out for so long, you know, I came out when I was 17 <laughs> yeah. and you're an old married um, man, <laughs> I'm an old married man. Um, not I really, <laughs> I well, thank you. I don't really think about it yeah. all that much. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I do, you know, but I, but, but it's just so, such an ingrained part of me that it's easy to forget that there's people, there's still people for whom it's not okay. Well, I'm thinking of like young writers coming up who, you know, get to see somebody who is insecure in who he yeah. is. And, you know, and I, and I feel like I, I really, 
appreciate and, and love this sort of younger generation of writers who are, who are coming up and who are really just really telling special stories that ha- mm-hmm. should have been told this whole damn time. Right. You know, we, we come from a, a pretty flawed system th- that operated from a you know pretty heinous default point of, of view, Yes, you know, and, and, you know, we're hopefully course correcting it now. Um, but I know that like for some of these, these younger writers, like the representation has been really tremendous. And I, and I have some very young friends who are like, sort of take it for granted and, and mm. God bless that they take it for granted. Yeah, right. And that's a, you know, that's a really, really lovely thing to be able to, to have. And I, I don't know. So do you, th- do you think that, you know, rest restaurants are still an interesting place for this, you know, for, you know, people being safe, being like queer trans, you know, non-binary and stuff. It, it It's still at restaurants. I know that there's still sort of this bastion of, you know, some pretty toxic stuff that is, is happening there. Um, do you think in, in the food writing world it's gotten better? Yeah, yeah, I told, I, I absolutely do. I mean, I think the macho stigma attached to journalism generally yeah. is a is less. Um, yeah, I think we're writing more about our own personal experiences yeah. so much more. You know, in the last twenty years, um, you know, with the growth of blogging and there's yeah. just a memoirish aspect to a lot of of popular writing in general yeah. um and that, food writing is no I see exception it's missed and it makes me really mad to see this dismiss they think like oh what are you doing writing your diary kind of thing i and know it just makes me i know or this idea when you you've heard this like how can so-and-so write a memoir they haven't lived long <laughs> enough right they haven't as lived, a person like, who's written something that's mostly a memoir <laughs> like yeah right and you're like well it's not how long you've lived right it's what's gone on person it's 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 what you've seen what's actually happened what you and and yeah. what you have to say about it right. obviously is the most important yeah um, so I think that's been helpful, you yeah. know, that people are more comfortable writing about themselves and, yeah. um, but you still get, yeah, I get emails. Um, why, why is that in the food section? <laughs> why, why is that piece about, we just had a piece by Reem Cassis, the yeah. Palestinian writer about how, um, she and other Palestinians often feel that. Um, a lot of Israeli dishes, when when they're not credited to their Palestinian yeah. origins, really makes them feel like their whole history is being erased. Right. And it's complicated by, of course, the political situation yeah. there, which already makes them feel a little bit like that. Oh, my God, I got a ton of emails from people saying... Oh, yeah. um, why is this even in the food section? You should keep politics out of the food section. And why is this opinion, why are you letting her, this person with all these opinions, right, in the food section? It's like, well, I mean, everybody has opinions and it was labeled appropriately and it's her perspective and it's absolutely appropriate um, for food coverage. So there is still, Mm -hmm. you know, some backlash to pieces like that. But I think generally it's getting better and people are seeing you know, LGBTQ people mm-hmm. um, in so many different parts of mainstream media, yeah. television, um, movies, 
you know, not as much as probably they should, but right. it's still gotten a lot better. So, um, yeah, but restaurants are tough, aren't they? Restaurants are still really incredibly tough. And yeah. I, I mean, I hope that we're moving toward a more inclusive system because, you know, I heard, I've heard a lot of people say like, well, once you get into the kitchen, it doesn't matter who you are so long as you can do your job. It's a but meritocracy. That whole idea. Yeah, well, I don't know but that I buy that. Yeah. And, and who also gets the money to open restaurants too right. is, you know, right. kind of complicated about right. that. And, but I feel like we in the media can have a role in making this better mm-hmm. for people to use our, our lens to highlight people who maybe are not getting as much coverage right. and go outside the people who have just really good PR right? <laughs> and just people right. who have good, you know, really good, important stories to tell. Absolutely. And help maybe help some, I, I think it's always important to help sort of writers of all different ages get over their imposter syndrome too yes yes (laughs) and help them give them some mentoring right and some editing yeah editing is a gift oh my god i've run into people along the way who have thought that like editing is being edited is a punishment i'm like are you kidding me it's a privilege you don't go out in into the world with your slip showing right right (laughs) use it to your advantage yeah yeah get better Yeah. yeah and you know and i know resources are being cut and cut and cut from publications yeah to the point where like some copy editing fact checking all that kind of stuff like kind of the yeah you know all of those safety measures are, are the first to go um working for a, a newspaper are you finding are you feeling any of the squeeze we've been really lucky mm-hmm. um you know with the bezos mm-hmm. um purchase several years ago mm-hmm. um you know he didn't just throw money at us yeah. he, at all by any stretch mm-hmm. trust me um he taught us how to build the business into something that would make money that would be more sustainable yeah um, so the financial pressures aren't what they used to be, um, at the post. That's I mean, they're great. not, um, you know, it's not like I'm getting to double my staff every mm-hmm. year or anything, but there's not this sense that, oh, what's, you know, when's the other shoe going to drop right. either. So, um, That's no, we're, we're doing well. We've been able to add a couple positions great. here and there. Um, the last couple of years, we started this new destination site called Voraciously. Which it's is, so good. Thank you. Thank I you. I really love it. Thank you. Thank you. It's aimed at people who are maybe a little more intimidated in yeah. the kitchen. Um, and it's gone really well. And we're getting to add a couple little things here and there um, slowly. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, things are good. That makes me really happy. We just found out recently we get to like increase the paper quality and trim size of the magazine. Great. So, you know, that's, that's so great. So that's, you know, a really, really good thing. Because it's, it's been heartbreaking watching, you mm. know, as, as various places are yes, demolished and cut and, and stuff. I guess all we can do is try to like highlight the voices as much as possible. Bring, bring everybody onto the, the good stable chips. That's right. Right, right, and try to find some other ways to train people yeah. in smaller markets. That you know, that's one thing that worries me. Yeah, is where, oh, the local farm team. Where are the farm teams? Yeah, um, where are we going to hire people from in yeah. 10, 20 years? Yeah, out of the kitchen. Like, right, well, this right. is part of my imposter syndrome too because I didn't go to journalism school. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So it's you know, it's it's a funny thing, but you can teach people absolutely. Like, really yeah. well and i just think you're doing such exciting and great thank stuff you. with thank with you. there and um and you have an incredible team too i have like such a like a writer crush on <laughs> like your, your whole team thank <laughs> you thank you we have fun yeah and it and it shows um so i have a few questions that i sure. ask everybody yes so all right you've put all this energy you put so much energy into work 
and mm-hmm. and into your relationships with people. The caretaking that I see you give of, of people is is really an extraordinary thing, and you've put your whole heart and soul into in, into cool beans. <laughs> what is the selfish thing that you just want for you? The dream. I guess, and I say this because if you say it out into the universe, then somebody can help you make it happen. The selfish thing that I want just for me. Yeah. Short term, long term. Hmm. That's such a good question. Um, I mean, I mean, a house in Paris would be kind of <gasps> nice. Wouldn't that be lovely? <laughs> I'm, I'm going for, I've been only ever for 24 hours. I'm going for a week in May and I'm over the moon. <laughs> Just just a place to go and yeah. spend time and um you know I would I do have this dream of like it doesn't necessarily have to be Paris um but that wouldn't be mm-hmm. bad mm-hmm. but um a second home somewhere that I really love where I could just become part of another community yeah um and really get to know another part of the world mm-hmm. um yeah, I'd like that. And I imagine you'd have a big vegetable garden. Yes, I would. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I imagine there would be quite a dedicated bean section there. Yes, yes. Um, have you ever worked in restaurants? Um, very briefly um, when I was in college, yeah. Did you ever cry in the walk-in? <laughs> <laughs> I know you did. Yes, that question. <laughs> um, I believe that I did cry in the walk-in. I believe that I did the- cry in the walk-in. So it was a place where... Um, um, I was waiting tables. Um, it was called Nick's Deli Bar. It was in Austin. It was on Sixth Street, mm-hmm. um, which is where you know the there's clubs all the clubs and bars. And I waited tables, and then a couple, two or three nights a week, I sold beer out of the of a window on straight onto the street, which yeah. was the best because I got tons of tips for. Yeah, it was backbreaking. Yeah. Um, but I I do remember crying in the walk-in once because a guy was so angry that I carded him that what? he burst into the restaurant and basically almost assaulted me. Jeez. So um, yeah, that was a tough day. Oh my god. Um, and I do remember I do remember some tears being shed. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sorry. That that Thank I... you. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, the walk-in has seen some shit. Yes, yes, it has. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, I love this question for you. So our fantastic e-com editor, Meg Soul, um, wants to know, what are your go-to cookbooks, one old, one newer? Oh, okay. I'm going to start with the newer one. Um, it is. It was just out last fall um, or last year. Um, Amy Chaplin. I um, don't, what is the book? It's Whole Food Cooking Every Day. Um, she had written a book several years ago called At Home in the Whole Food Kitchen. Okay, yeah. Um, beautiful book, plant-based. Um, I believe the new one is gluten-free, mm. too, uh, which I don't, you know, yeah. n- I'm not celiac, but I appreciate those recipes. Gorgeous. Yeah. Um, beautiful recipes, you know, fermented carrots Oof. and nut butters and... Um, great dressings and salads and yeah it's i love that book i use it quite a lot um older book that i use quite a lot um yeah i would say um vegetarian cooking for everyone um deborah madison yeah Um, oh god 
just such a such a fantastic book. I think that's the book that taught me that a salad was more than you know lettuce and tomatoes and big thick rings of red onions right oh <laughs> in an God. Italian dressing on a plate yeah I, I grew up on a lot of like canned and frozen vegetables with a pat of butter on top right. so much of that I mean she's right. she's extraordinary she's extraordinary and uh, that that book I I just I used a lot somehow in my head I thought you were gonna say moosewood <laughs> oh you know I do I do like I liked I was a fan of that Sundays at moosewood book did you ever oh, know that no, one that was the, the Sunday I guess was the, I never even went to the, I've never been to the restaurant no. but Sunday is the day that they do global oh. um, dishes and so and they did I, I guess a different yeah. nationality every Sunday and so the Sundays at Moosewood book was sort of a global tour of vegetarian food oh. and it's fun yeah it's fun uh, somebody gave that to me when I was vegetarian yeah yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Um, so what is your comfort food Oh, tacos. Oh, tell me about your tacos. <laughs> tacos You're a Texas boy. Tacos, 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 and tostadas and quesadillas, yeah. but all all part of the same deal. Um, well, you know, I I make tacos probably two or three times a week, mm. um, usually with leftovers. So I always okay. have a pot of beans that I've made, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I usually have roasted vegetables and um, maybe greens, and I usually have some sauerkrauts or mm-hmm. something crunchy, pickled yeah, onions, texture, right? Tacos, all about and I always have pumpkin seeds and I always have salsa that I've made. And so, yeah, it's usually beans and sweet potatoes with pickled onions and salsa and maybe some feta and maybe some like pickled cabbage. That's that's oh. that's my that's my go-to. That that's is That's my baby. Oh, that's so gorgeous. Yeah. What is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? Oh, that's such a that's such a good question. You know, the one that I think about actually, I it made me so emotional that I that it's the intro to the to the book. It was this meal in Mexico City, mm. a bowl of beans at Maximo, this restaurant oh. in Mexico City. We're here for the beans, um, I believe you said. That, that's the one. Yeah. So I had um, read about his beans. Mm-hmm. Um, I went. It's a tasting menu restaurant, and. We went one night, we went early, talked to him. Um, he has very strong opinions about a lot of things. Fascinating guy, amazing yeah. story. Um, and then he confessed to me that they were out of beans. <gasps> um, this famous cacahuate beans that he makes. Um, and so he, and he tells me this, you know, he had already told me how special they were from this one little mm. village, et cetera, et cetera. So we went back. Um, he said he was gonna, getting more in. So we went back a few days later. Everybody else is having the tasting menu. And we said to the waiter, actually, we've already had the tasting menu. We're <laughs> just here for the beans. <laughs> the waiter thought we were nutso. Um, but they were the best beans that I had ever had. Mm. Um, and I couldn't quite understand why they were so complex yeah. and tasting and so simple at the same time. Um but my husband also had had a, he was just recovering from a bout of intense digestive distress yeah. um, from probably our street food tour that we had. Um, and, you know, he took one bite and I swear I saw the color come back into his face. Oh. Um, so, and I was swooning. Yeah. I was just like every bite I'm swooning. And he, of course he had these homemade tortillas with the beans um and there was a homemade tortilla topped with um pico de gallo and so there was like crunch and the pico de gallo and the beans were so 
deeply flavored and the warm tortilla and yeah that meal made me emotional <laughs> oh god i'm getting emotional hearing about it and this is one of those i have my goal meals for when i can hopefully knock on table properly eat again and uh that sounds like something i need to go and pursue you need to i can i can tell you how to make it in cool beans <laughs> oh, whenever man. you're ready thank you actually you know what cat when you're ready to eat I'm beans again, please, I want to be the first person. I want to hop on the Acela and to, come to, Because to you, I will make you <sighs> a pot of beans. I want this so badly. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, speaking of, what is the last meal that somebody made for you at their home? Oh, oh, wow. Okay. Um, well, my friend David Hagedorn. Oh, um, he's do you so know brilliant. David? Yeah. I've only met him once or twice, but I think he's brilliant. He's brilliant. And he's honestly, I think he might be the best um, entertainer, the best home. Mm. Well, he's a former chef. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, but he throws the best dinner parties, I believe, that I've, I've really ever had. Um, but he actually, you know, that when I turned in the recipes for the book, mm-hmm. He had asked me during that period, Carl and I, whether we would come over for dinner. And I said, you know, we would love to. Thank you. And I said, I just have one request. If an if a single bean shows up on this table, <laughs> <laughs> we are out of here. Oh, my God. And David, since he's so funny, mm-hmm. there was one course where he, um, he had these little cloches, yeah. came out to everybody's. Um, setting and of course we lifted up the cloche and there was one you know (laughs) just the one bean bean. um but he makes he makes beautiful food um he makes really incredible stews Mm. and um you know he makes fried he makes an incredible fried chicken Mm. that carl just goes crazy for um and i have been known to cheat sometimes and if if no one's listening here, I will <laughs> I will confess to I will try a little piece of David Hagedorn's fried chicken just because it's really I special. Mean, down with purism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what living musician would you want to cook a pot of beans for? Oh, oh, what living musician. Yeah, because otherwise oh, if we don't man. say living, then it the bench is too just, deep. I mean, you know, it's a toss-up maybe between Lauren Hill and mm. Lizzo. Okay, they. I think they've, <laughs> at least Lizzo's definitely been mentioned before. I don't know if Lauren Hill has, but... Oh, or actually, maybe. I think maybe somebody did mention Lauren Hill. What, what kind of beans? Just the best. Um, what kind of beans for Lauren Hill? I mean, probably... I mean, I do love a good red beans and rice. Mm. And we were talking about the um, New Orleans... Um, red bean crew earlier yeah. so that's sort of on my mind I mean yeah. those would be amazing those Nigerian beans I'm really <laughs> proud of with the plantains um, those are stunning I like to think that she might like those um, I do um, I do a riff on a do you know that are you familiar with the nation of Islam's bean pie okay uh, so I went to college in Baltimore yes and I was for ever trying to buy the bean pie and not sell me a bean pie which i fully respect and i but i was always always trying so eventually i was able to get a bean pie yes i love the bean pie pie is so cool right so i do a riff on it a coconut cream bean pie Mm -hmm. um that i don't know i think i would serve to lauren hill that's amazing (laughs) i love it so let's say final question Actually, not quite the final question, but you have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. What do you do? 
five uninterrupted minutes mm-hmm. for self-care, I meditate. Okay, tell me, you're, I'm just, in the last half year, have started to meditate. Do you have a particular thing? Yeah, I like this. Um, there's an app called Insight Timer. I have I it. I haven't used it yet. Yeah, I like it because you just, all you, you can do a lot. You can, like, mm-hmm. follow people and stuff. I don't do any of that. Yeah. Um, I just pick the sound of the tones yeah <laughs> so it lets you pick the sound of the opening tone and how long mm-hmm. and the sound if you want intermediate like once a minute if you yeah. want a gong or something and then the closing tone and I usually I try to do five or ten minutes mm-hmm. so um you know I clear my head and I I have a mantra yeah. um and I say my mantra and I um you know I try to get into that space where if I'm having lots of other thoughts that mm. I notice them as bubbles. Oh yeah. The notation floating through the sky, <laughs> oh, yeah. right. Or floating by me mm-hmm. that I don't dive into them. Yeah. Um, and I kind of love it. Yeah. I've started using headspace and I really, oh, great, really like it. Great. And calm a little bit too. Yeah. And I really love yeah. Calm. Yes. I've, I've used calm. Yeah. And it's just a really lovely thing. Making a pot of beans, I'm sure, is a good meditation. Yes, it is. Yes, oh. yes, it is. Final question. Okay. What's your best fart joke? Oh, okay. My best. Oh, Keeping it wow. classy. <laughs> Got to keep it classy. My best. Because fart I'm sure you've joke. heard them all. I have. I have heard them all. I have heard them all. Well, okay. I don't know if this is all that funny, but um, you know, I was saying earlier that beans are the one um, food that's classified as a vegetable and a protein. Yeah. You know, I sometimes throw in that it's also classified as an instrument, cat. <laughs> it is a musical or magical fruit. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my gosh. Folks, if you want to make an orchestra of your own, <laughs> you should pick up Cool Beans. By J- so Thank what are all you. your social handles? Okay, I make it so easy for people. Yeah. Twitter, at Joe Yonan. Okay. Instagram, at Joe Yonan. I love Facebook, it. Joe Yonan. Website, joeyonan.com. <laughs> And if people want to buy this book, they can get it at all the different places. All the places. At the independent bookseller, perhaps. Do you have have one in in DC in particular that you like where maybe people could get them signed, like signed copies? Yeah, there's signed copies at Politics and Prose in DC. Um, I also like East City Bookshop on Capitol Hill, is great. And there's this really great site I don't know if everybody knows about called IndieBound. Oh, yeah. It's such a fantastic thing. Fantastic. And it will. link you to where the book is at an independent bookstore near you physically or online um so yeah and folks help out an excellent author demand that joe yonig (laughs) comes to your local bookstore (laughs) and maybe he will make you that beautiful pot of beans beans. oh joe thank you so much for being here today thanks for having me i loved it Thank you so much to our guest today, Joe Yonan. And you can buy Cool Beans wherever books are sold, wherever probably wherever beans are sold. Who doesn't love beans? Like, after listening to this, don't you just want to go home and make a great big pot of beans? And you can find him all over the socials and at Washington Post. We'll have all of the links in the episode. And I want to thank our producers here. We've got Jennifer Martnick, Hallie Tarpley, Margot Gotthelf, and our theme song is by the delightful Douglas Wagner. And, you know, f- this is part of Food and Wine Pro. And if you don't know, 
Now you will. It is part of uh, foodandwine.com and really devoted to talking about the business, the the emotions, everything goes into um, living a restaurant life. And we get guests like Joe, we get chefs and restaurateurs and bartenders and just some of the most brilliant minds in food. And if you sign up for the Food and Wine Pro newsletter, you never have to worry about where your next episode is coming from. It's just going to be right there in the newsletter along with some words of wisdom from our editor-in-chief, Hunter Lewis. And you can also please do this. Please subscribe on whatever your preferred podcast platform is. And even more people are going to be able to listen um, if it pops up in that lovely algorithm, which happens if you leave the stars, the comments, all that kind of stuff. Um, If there are people you think that we should be talking to, I would love to hear all about it. Pretty easy to find. I'm Kitten with a Whip on Twitter and Kat Kinsman on Instagram. Pretty easy to find. Um, Send me a note and let me know if there's somebody who we should be talking to or a topic that you would like to have discussed. Most importantly, though, take good care of yourself. Till the next time, have some beans.